It was just another Saturday trip, uh, just a normal Another Saturday gathering, our youth group had gathered uh, in the back parking lot. It was before this building was there. We gathered in the back parking lot. We were heading to a retreat in Brownwood, and uh, everyone was excited, and we were throwing sleeping bags and stuff in the vans, and we had the bus, and, and so it was just, just one of those days, and we're getting ready to go, and, and uh, we load up in the bus, and there's a van behind that, and I think some cars behind that, and off we go, and we are headed to Brownwood. Everybody's so excited as we head to Lake Brownwood uh, for this retreat, and off we go, um, and somewhere just on the outskirts of Eden, I'll let you think about it for a minute, as we're going to Brownwood, And on the outskirts of Eden, something in, I'm driving, something (laughs) in my brain, there's like this war going on, and I'm, I'm like, wait, that's Eden, why why are we here, what's going on, who moved Eden? (laughs) And so there I was. And I'm, seriously, my brain is just going, what is going on? And uh, where am I? And how did I get here to this place? And I look, and everyone on the bus is just having a great time. They're going, they don't care where we are. We're just going. And the van is behind me, and they've obviously not noticed. <laughs> and the car's behind them, and, and we're, there we are. And I think, okay, I can do this. Um, we will just move on. I'll just kind of make a gradual turn here. No big deal. We'll head on to Brownwood. Nobody needs to know. Apparently, for some reason, as I'm trying to just make sense of this place that I am and how did I get here, I pulled over into that parking lot by the Dairy Queen, kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, I'm not crazy. I know how to do this. But nobody needs to know, Clark Abel is sitting in the parking lot in one of his trucks, and he stands out there in the middle of the parking lot like no one else can do, just in his Clark Abel way, says, I thought y'all were going to Brownwood. (laughs) And suddenly everyone in the bus knows in the van, and there I sit, and I'm just like, Well, we headed off to Brownwood, but there was that moment of just driving and everything's great. It's just the same as it's always been. And suddenly I have no idea where I am and how I got there. That is where we find ourselves this morning. As we look at our world around us and all the incredible changes that are taking place, if we step back, if we genuinely step back and take a view of the landscape, we will see a very different world from what was real just a few years ago. And I think, if we're honest, we will take a deep breath and say, where are we? And how did we get here How did we get from there to this point, and how do we go from this point to somewhere else? We live in a time of incredible change. 
Our world has, has always been a place of change, but there are things changing in our world so rapidly today that we cannot keep up. Um, every time you turn around, there's some kind of new device coming out that we've got to figure out. And more often than not, um, my clocks, and I started to say on my VCR, that doesn't happen anymore, still flash because I don't know how to fix it. Our world is changing so, so rapidly. Guys by the name of Strauss and Howe have done all kinds of research on generations, and they've basically said that there is a generation of people about every 20 to 22 years. And so in this room, we have a number of generations from GIs to boomers to busters to mosaics to all kinds of different generations. And so if they are, if they're correct every 20 to 22 years, then the most generations I would ever have in our youth group at any one time would be a segment of one generation at the very end of their generation and a new one coming in. So I would have two generations. I think they're wrong. Um, I haven't seen anybody research this, but I believe that we have a new generation about every 18 to 24 months. I believe that there is a whole new experience and expression of our world about every 18 to 24 months, so that in our youth group, we would have as many as four different generations, and it is difficult for one generation to talk to the next generation, but you step back and reach across three or four generations, there is tension and there is change. There are things changing in our world, uh, so many different television channels and all kinds of things going on. And I I mentioned this in the first service, and I I was hesitant to mention it, but I believe we need to just face the reality that the average age of exposure to pornography for our children today is eight years old. Let that sink in and, and think, does that imply any changes, any tension in the way we address intimacy and what's going on in our world today? We can talk about other changes. Uh, in all of human history, our method and ways of communication have changed four times. Just four times in all of human history. We now exist in one of those changes where our way of communication is instant communication and there is no going back to the time before. If you received a text from someone while you were sitting in here this morning, they will expect to hear from you within 10 minutes. And if they don't hear from you within 10 minutes, they will wonder why you are mad at them. That's just the reality of the world we live in. It is a rapidly changing society. Every time you turn around, there is something new taking place in our society. And so what do we do? What do we do as a church when we now look and say, where are we and how did we get here? Today, we're going to do a movement of three different things that I believe are important for us as a church to realize things that I believe are essential for us to make sense out of this change and move from where we are to where we can be and should be as people who live out the gospel of Christ in this world. Let me read you the text for today, and this is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
And I know that our change, that we have changed so much that even now many of you are looking at that on phones and on iPads. Just another way that we've changed. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves by Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. As we find ourselves in this place of trying to make sense of where we are and what's going on in this world, we need to realize that it is by the power of God that we stand at this crossroad. It is by His power that we engage our world and speak truth into this world. Which leads us to where we are today with the the first movement of deep communion with God. Listen to these words. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck and down, but not destroyed. Some people would say that this is a time of great despair with all of these changes. As government is legislating morality and we're trying to figure out how church and government make sense out of very important issues that are facing us in this world. And people would say, this is, this is a difficult time for the church. I disagree. I believe that this is a time of great hope and great power for the church, that as the world continues to spin in all these other directions, this is a time and an opportunity for the people of God to be the people of God and to be people of hope and people of grace and love and mercy. But to do that, we must move into a deep sense of communion with God. The opposite of that is we cannot settle for a shallow familiarity with God. It is not enough for us to just know about God and know a few things about who he is and how he works in this world in our life. But God has invited us into this ministry. This is his. It's his ministry. It's his mission. It's his reality. He has invited us into a relationship with him and he is begging and entreating and encouraging us and inviting us into a deeper relationship with him. And if we are invited into that relationship, we need to realize that deep communion with God results in a changed person. As we move into a deeper relationship with God, we are changed people. And so I'll ask this question, do we come to church 
our church experiences together, do we come expecting to be improved or changed? Deep communion with God does not result in a new and improved me. It is not about being a better expression of who I already am. There are books all over the place, some of them by very famous authors and ministers who will tell you that a relationship with God is about you having a better life, an improved life, that if you will just study God's word, if you will will spend more time in prayer, then you will have a better life, that your life will be easier. Again, I believe that's wrong. A deeper communion with God is not about being improved. It's about being changed. It's about being transformed into his likeness. And so as we dig into this deep communion with God and we hunger and thirst for God and the things of God, when we look in the mirror, we see less and less me and more and more him. See, a new and improved me um, has a little less gray hair. There's stuff in a box that can fix that. A new and improved me gets rid of some of this stuff right here around the middle. A new improved me might give me a little whiter smile, but a transformed me is less me and more him. And so that's the first thing that I want to call us to, I, I don't think it's me, but that I believe we're challenged to do, challenged to is a deeper communion and relationship with God. There's a world out there that is hungering for us to know God on a deeper level. Perhaps it's because of that experience of uh, finding myself uh, outside of Eden and wondering how I got there that I like to try to give people a map of where we're going. And so I want to give you a little bit of a map right now. Um, we're about to talk about uh, the importance of being in deeper community with one another. Um, and at the end of, of this uh, section, uh, some of our leaders are going to be uh, on the sides and they will be available for you to pray with them and be with them. And sometimes it's hard for us to do that because we think walking to one of our leaders admits a sign of weakness. Um, I believe it's a sign of humility and hunger for community. And so as they're on the side, um, I want to ask you, there is anything on your heart? Maybe you just want to say, I am thankful for the day God's given me. Uh, I invite you to go and be with them and pray. Uh, And maybe sit with the person next to you and pray with them. Be in community and share your heart and lives with one another. I believe this is a great time and place for us to model what community is really about. You know, talking about deep community, I really wish there had been a sense of community that morning on that bus. I really wish that somewhere as I'm heading out of San Angelo that way, someone would have come up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, you going a new way to Brownwood this morning? I really wish it would have saved. I wouldn't have this story to tell. Um, but I really wish somebody, it would have saved all of us a little bit of time and me a lot of embarrassment that day. Um, because, uh, and that story comes up 
regularly. Uh, Clark likes to remind me of that story uh, sometimes. Uh, Sometimes my family, if we're going to Lubbock, will ask me, are we going to go through Eden this morning? (laughs) We need community. We need one another to help keep us on track. We cannot live in this world alone. Listen to these words, and I started to just give you the number, but I want to just read and highlight. Listen to this. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced shameful and sinful things. We refuse to practice cunning, for we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. It is about the body of people, about us living in community, that God has given us this ministry, that he has invited us as a community to be in community and in communion with him. So it is about a deep community with one another and not just a casual acquaintance with one another. How many of you have noticed that community is more difficult now than it was 15 years ago? All right, a few of you. Um, There was a time that I believed that we could assume community happened at church, that we actually had time to be with one another. We took time to share lives and stories with one another and share meals with one another. Um, That doesn't happen as easily now as it used to. And this is, I know we have a lot of folks connected with youth sports. This is not a blasting of youth sports. It's just a reality that youth sports is one of those things that keeps us so busy going a hundred different directions. And we were involved in youth sports, and and I think there's great value there. But a number of years ago, a publication came out and said that the explosion of youth sports is robbing our children, our families of community. Now, that's not surprising that someone would say that. What is surprising is that the publication that announced that was Sports Illustrated. A publication that is built around sports and yet they were looking at society and saying, we are on the outskirts of Eden and we don't know how we got here. There's something going on here that yes, there's some good stuff there, but there's some other things that we're, we're wondering if we're finding ourselves lost And again, it's not a youth sports issue. It's a culture that is just going at a frantic pace. Genuine community is becoming more and more difficult in our world. Um, We are becoming a society of cyber community and virtual friends. Um, I don't know how many friends you've got on Facebook. Some of you don't have Facebook. I looked at my thing. I've got like 1,300 friends on Facebook. And I know there are people that have a lot. Bryce, you probably got a lot more than that. I don't know, sorry. Uh, Their folks have all these. I don't know all the people that are my friends on Facebook. 1,300 is bigger than the town I grew up in. 200 is bigger than the town I grew up in. And yet, I've got all these friends. And we settle for this expression of relationship and community when God himself wants us to experience something much deeper and richer. Community calls us to vulnerability, to honesty, to shared lives, to shared burdens, to dreams, joys, hopes. Community calls us to be involved in one another's lives 
Community calls us to times like what, that we're about to have at times of prayer, but really we don't even have to talk about it. We just know that's a time when we're going to share our lives with one another. Now it makes sense, we're talking communion and communion, it makes sense that we would have had communion in the middle of the communion section, but I chose not to put it there because I believe that in a lot of ways we've allowed communion itself to become a small individualistic experience. And it's an individual cup and a piece of bread and we lock ourselves in and it's me and God and I don't want to take away from that because there is plenty to say that this is about you considering your life and your relationship with God. But we need to realize that table's a big table. We don't sit at this table by ourselves. We join together as community at that table. And the people that are on your row at that table with you, people that you know in this, out in San Angelo or at that table, people that you don't know, there's a lot of people at that table and we experience communion in community. If we take the community aspect out of communion, it becomes something other than the table of the Lord. So we're going to sing a song, and then we'll have communion after a couple of songs. But as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to stand. And again, some of our leaders will be on the side. Um, And I want to ask you to take some time and pray with them. Maybe go pray for them. Be in community with them. Our leaders need people to pray for them. And so maybe you're going to them not to be prayed with, but, but you're praying for Grab the hand of the person next to you and maybe pray with them, but let's be in community as we approach the table of the Lord. Would you stand? You know, on that that cold Saturday morning, as I was on the outskirts of Eden, I so wanted that story to stay in the bus. Um, What happens in the bus stays on the bus, right? I, I didn't want anybody else to know. And unfortunately, that's, we, we can have that attitude about our church life. That what happens at church, what happens with church, what happens with us here in this place stays here. But that's not what we are called to. We are called to be people who hunger for a deeper and deeper relationship with God. We are called to be people who are in a deeper and more meaningful relationship with one another and community with one another, and we are people who are commissioned to live in this world, not reduced to people who live out of fear and anxiety because of this world. There is plenty of stuff out there that should make us anxious, but our God is bigger than any of that. We serve a God who is bigger than the stuff of this world, and so we are called to be people who live out the gospel of Christ in this world. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who spoke light into the darkness at creation is that same God who speaks into our life and speaks through our lives into this world to bring light into the darkest of places in this world. 
We are called to be people who come together in communion with God and community with one another and people who go out and live as light and salt in the world around us. Just yesterday, uh, a number of our folks were involved with Helping Hands here in San Angelo. 26 adults, eight kids, and they were involved in this community. They were being salt and light in this community. All the things going on at Rust Street, incredible opportunities to be salt and light, and those are great and wonderful, and we should embrace them and seek more opportunities to do that. But if we rely only on the programs and the things that this church body says, here is where you can be salt and light, we are not people. We are not living as people commissioned to live in the world. We are called to be people where every minute of every day as we live in this world, the gospel of Christ is being seen in our lives. Um, When I was a kid, we talked, the language was obeying the gospel. And I know what that meant. And And I don't take away from that. It's important. But obeying the gospel was, I believe these things, I'm going to do this, and now I'm saved and all is well. There is more to it than that. We are called to be people who join the gospel of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do through the power of Jesus Christ in this world. We are called to be participants in the gospel and not merely observers of the gospel. And we are called to live as good news as we are commissioned into this world to be good news to the people around us. Someone asked me a long time ago, Kevin, is your neighborhood better because you live there? Is your neighborhood better because you live out the gospel in your neighborhood? Our youth group's been playing with questions for the last several weeks, and, and one of those questions is, does it matter that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you, does it matter that you believe in God? Of course it matters. But does it matter to my family that I believe in Jesus? Does it matter to my schoolmates that I believe in Jesus? Does it matter to the people I encounter in life that I believe in Jesus? Am I being good news to the people around me? Um, one of... Uh, a few weeks ago, I'm sorry, it was last week, I was in uh, HEB, and one of the things that I've decided to do is I want to, I want to be, I want HEB to be better because I'm there, that I, I reflect God's image while I'm there. Sometimes I get it right, most of the times I don't. Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I'm not very good at it. They're seeing something other than the image of God. I'm, the people are crowded. Last week I was there. And I had just a few items, and I got in uh, the express lane, and I, there I am, and I'm doing what I always do. It's a character flaw, but I'm counting the number of items in the, that the people in front of me have. <laughs> yeah, y'all do it too, don't you? <laughs> and there's a lady right in front of me, and she had like 12 or 13 items, and I'm, okay, because I'm such a grace-filled person, that's all right, and I'm not going to judge her. Did you get that? <laughs> That's a real, real reflection of God there, isn't it? But she was slow. She was really slow. And she, things got checked out, and she finally dug into her purse and pulled out her checkbook and said, I want to write this for 10 over. I'm looking, and I'm really wanting to go somewhere else. The whole image of God thing is out the window but I wait and she gets through and the guy checks my stuff and she's still standing there I can't really do it because she's still there and he says I'm sorry about the wait and I said 
it's all right, I'm not in any big hurry. And he stepped back and goes, I like you. And I've, I've checked you out before and you don't complain about stuff. He had just happened to get me on some good days. <laughs> and this isn't, I'm not applauding myself here, but the, at least somehow in some small way for somebody, I got it right as good news. I wish it happened more often. But we are commissioned to be good news in our world, in a world that is hungry for good news. I love this church family. I love our hunger for God. I love our desire to be with one another and our desire to be involved in the world. And I believe that as we hunger even more deeply for God, and as we get to know one another and share our lives with one another and are joined to one another by the very blood of Jesus Christ, and as we embrace our commissioning to live into the world as good news, I believe that this body of Christ will be good news to this neighborhood, to this community, and that people in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on around that the world, that the people in this community will find themselves standing at that crossroads saying, I don't know where I am and how I got here, but this is the wrong place. I believe that our community will be able to look to us and they will say, I need to get in touch with those people because they can help me get from here to where I need to be. I pray that we join God and that we see our time in this world as a great opportunity to be the people of God. Let's stand and sing.